Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was originally featured as a video on the IA's YouTube channel, IA London. But we've taken the audio and we've turned it into a podcast so that you can listen on the go. Enjoy. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Institute of Economic Affairs. I'm Victoria Houston, Head of Regulatory Affairs here at the IEA, and I'm very excited to be introducing today's discussion, Does English Football Need an Independent Regulator? Well, the fan-led review that the government commissioned um, concluded in its report published last year that the answer to that question is yes and it put forward a rather complicated licensing regime um, modelled on financial services to be overseen by a new regulator called IREF modelled on the FCA and it also included proposals for new rights and powers for fans like a golden share and shadow boards or, um, or, of clubs to give them vetoes over key decisions about the clubs that they support. The review was triggered by the collapse of Burnley Football Club and then following that by the abortive European Super League and then by the problems that clubs faced during the shutdowns during the pandemic. Now, broadly speaking, the government and the experts who led and contributed to the fan-led review feel that the game is at a precipice and private owners simply can't be trusted to run the clubs that have this special value to communities and fans. And they think that new laws and a state regulator will be able to redress the balance and ensure that the game is run fairly and in the interests of fans. Now, in a report published today, my colleague Glenn Shackleton and I have examined these proposals and it's fair to say that we are not convinced that they are necessary at all and indeed we're quite worried about some of the unintended consequences that could result. Um, however, for the purposes of this evening, I'm going to be a neutral referee and allow our distinguished panel to debate this question. So I am delighted to welcome our guests. First of all, Damien Collins, MP, the Member of Parliament for Folkestone and Hythe since 2010. From 2015 to 2019, he was the chair of the influential Culture, Media and Sports Select Select Committee, where he oversaw several major parliamentary inquiries, including into the BBC, fake news, and crucially for today's purposes, sports governments. Professor Len Shackleton is uh, an editorial and research fellow here at the IEA and Professor of Economics at the University of Buckingham. He was formerly Dean of the Royal Ducks Business School at the University of East London and Dean of the Westminster Business School. Uh, and he's also worked as an economist in the civil service. He is now editor of the journal Economic Affairs, which is co-published by the IEA and the University of Buckingham. And finally, last but not least, we mm -hmm. have Simon Jordan, serial entrepreneur who made his fortune in the mobile phone industry, having built up his company from scratch. In 2000, he bought Crystal Palace Football Club, and during his 10 years in the game, he became one of the most recognisable faces in the game and led Crystal Palace to the Premier League, making him the youngest Premier League football club owner at just 36. He now co-presents White and Jordan, which is TalkSport's flagship football show with Jim White. 
He's a popular and frequent guest on panel shows uh, with Jeremy Vine, The Right Stuff, The Debate, and also used to present The Final Word on TalkSport. He's now also a restaurant owner and founder of Octane magazine. So, to start off with, um, I'm going to ask each of our panellists to take a couple of minutes to give a quick summary of your views on the proposal and the, the question that we're debating today. Um, then I'm going to ask a few questions from my side and then I'm going to open it up to questions from the audience. Now we're going to, we are in fact recording, as, as I speak, we're going to record the first half of the panel discussion but not the Q&A, so the second half will be an off-the-record discussion. So Damien, would you like to start us off? Why are you supporting these proposals? Um, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. When you look at the failure of some football clubs in recent years, um, Bury being the one that triggered the fan-led review, um, if you look at the current problems at a club like Derby County, which is deep in administration and may not come out, the first thing you, that struck me, I remember going up to Kick Lane and Berry to meet the fans, uh, the supporters groups there, after the club had uh, gone bust and we kicked out the league, is that the problems are avoidable. And they're avoidable without creating any new rules and regulations. If the rules of the Football League have been enforced correctly, if the protocols that limit the amount of money a club can spend on players' salaries had actually been enforced and anyone had checked in real time, um, then those clubs, uh, then Berry wouldn't have gone bust, uh, and Derby wouldn't have gone into administration. The, there is a lack of effective oversight of how clubs are run, which means that clubs can get away with trading outside of the laws and rules of their own leagues. Um, something you might say is anti-competitive in many ways. It puts unsustainable pressure on other clubs who seek to compete against them, trying to spend ever more of money that they don't have, trying to sustain their position relative to other clubs as well. So if there was better enforcement of financial conduct rules uh, for football clubs, then they would, they would be running in a sustainable way. And that requires a regulatory body that has got the right to know uh, and, uh, what, what a club is spending, uh, what's going through its books, um, to be able to check in real time. When, when Barry went bust, not only had it not published its accounts from the, from, from the previous accounting year, nor had it, won, nor had it from the year before that. Um, this, this creates a culture where clubs largely self-declare their income and rely on soft loans from their owners, which sometimes may not appear or can, or can run out. So football could do this better for itself, but what has always struck me is the problem with football competitions. And football regulation is principally around not the regulation of businesses, but the regulation of clubs taking part in a sporting competition. The primary interest of the, of the competitional uh, authorities is the integrity of the competition itself rather than the survival of any one club. But because the, club, because the competitions are run by the clubs that play in them, the Football League is effectively run by the chairman and women of the Football League clubs. The Premier League is effectively run by the chairman and women of the Premier League clubs. They may not be that interested in independent scrutiny, uh, real-time reporting, proper financial scrutiny of their affairs that would keep them on the straight and narrow. And therefore, it doesn't happen. Um, the Premier League has got the resources to do some of these things quite well, and I think particularly checking the background and integrity of new club owners to see whether they are fit for purpose. The Football League does not have those, those, those um, resources, and as a consequence, I think, is, uh, it's the place you're more likely to see club failures. Um, there would be resistance from the club competitions to having the Football Association regulate them, part of the unique politics of football and the uh, bodies within it. So the question has arisen about whether there should be an independent regulator with certain powers, uh, powers to have in real-time financial, uh, real-time real access to accounts in particular. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot in the report around, you know, 
capital ratios, how much money clubs own, uh, hold to make sure they can they can meet their obligations, pay their players the contracts uh, that they say they will pay, pay any transfer instalments to other clubs uh, that are due. Um, there are some quite high high um, standards set for that within the fan-led review. Uh, but I think at its heart is a principle that already exists, certainly in the divisions just outside the Football League, in the, in the National League, which is clubs have to prove they've got the money to complete the season, that they can meet their financial obligations during the course of the season, and that's one of the conditions of being able to play. So in some form, some of these ideas already exist. But I think that is what, that is what we need to bring in, into football, and it will probably require an independent regulator to do it. And finally, I would just say, in other industries, broadcasting being one, the idea of a fit and proper person test, a discretionary test, exercised by a regulatory body already exists. Ofcom issues broadcasting licenses, it can rescind broadcasting licenses. In football, people often talk about the fit and proper person test, ownership test. They don't exist. There is no active rule in football that's any different from stopping someone being a director of any company in the UK. And there have been times when the football authorities have wanted to act against an owner when they had concerns about their source of funds or, or their rep or their background reputation or offences they committed in the past, particularly in the case of Massimo Gino when he was on and off uh, owner of Leeds United. And what they found was even if the Football League said, we don't trust you, we don't think you're the right person to own one of our clubs, there was nothing in law they could do to stop them. There are a whole myriad of issues, which I'm sure will come up in questions around the way football is run at the moment. But at its heart, the fan-led review is calling for an independent body at least to enforce football's own rules on its own clubs and to do so independently. Thank you very much. Great start. Len, over to you. What's, what's, your, uh, what's your take? Um, and perhaps you could give us a, a, a gist of what's the argument of our paper that we're talking about and that we've published today. How long have we got? Um, yeah, can I start out by saying that uh, I, uh, one of the things that Victoria and I do is uh, look at regulation across the economy and see uh, how this story fits into it. And uh, last October, Kwasi Kwarteng um, introduced a consultation paper on regulation where he said that um, the government should only regulate and get only involved in, in, in regulation uh, when it's absolutely necessary and proportionate. And I think what we feel is that it's neither necessary uh, nor proportionate. It's certainly not proportionate. Um, when uh, we look at regulating other industries, there are usually two things we think about. One is the market power argument, that firms may be so big that they can exploit consumers or exploit suppliers, and something has to be done about this. Uh, or alternatively, that there are serious externalities like pollution and so forth, which uh, mean that uh, some form of regulation is necessary. Now, these things don't apply when we talk about football. If you look at the justification which uh, Tracy Crouch puts forward in this review, it's largely to do with what she calls financial instability, which turns out to mean uh, that clubs uh, persistently spend more uh, than their revenue. And this is seen as uh, inherently a bad thing. Now, I think you need to put this into a wider context. Uh, many, many uh, companies... Sorry? Closer? Yeah, all right. Hello. Um, uh, many, many companies uh, will operate for a long period of time where their uh, outgoings uh, exceed their revenue. Many, many of the, the most dynamic companies in, in the modern period, people like Amazon, for example, or Spotify or any of these companies, operate for long periods when their revenue doesn't meet their outgoings. So there's nothing particularly unusual about this. And in football, it's been the 
the case since the year dot. I read, uh, when it first came out, that shows how old I am, the uh, Norman Chester Review, 1968, on football. And uh, in that paper, he bemoaned the fact that clubs were spending more than their revenue in exactly the same way that Tracy Crouch does today. And yet, of the 92 football clubs which were in the Football League at that time, all of them still exist. Some of them, like my own poor club, Southport, have moved down into, into non-league and so forth, but they all still exist in one form or another. So there's a great deal of resilience in the system, which I think the Crouch Review ignores. And this idea that uh, you, should be, uh, you, you shouldn't be allowed to spend more than your revenue or within very tight limits would really preclude competition uh, from, new, from new clubs. If, uh, we, uh, we've recently, of course, had the, the problems around Chelsea and so forth. Chelsea was uh, you know, put into its, its current, pre- uh, current eminence through the... Am I, am I going to sing or what? <laughs> 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 through uh, through uh, uh, Roman Abramovich consistently uh, supporting the club financially, but other clubs too, Leicester for example, who were a middle of the road kind of team for many, many years, were, were you know, became Premier League champions through the support of their uh, sadly now dead uh, owner. Um, But this happens all the way down the league. Uh, Sugar daddies, in one form or another, support football, have always supported football. If you look at uh, Forest Green Rovers, supported by uh, that guy with the eco-energy stuff. Delvin. That's the man. Uh, If you look at uh, um, Salford City, who are in the the football league now, uh, they were obviously supported by uh, ex-Manchester United players. Now... This is a problem, maybe, but I think uh, the way in which uh, the Crouch Review talks about it is totally out of proportion. What we've got uh, in these proposals is uh, uh, tighter uh, government, corporate governance than the Financial Conduct Authority imposes on large banks and financial institutions. We've got detailed reporting procedures, we've got po- compulsory levies on clubs, and redistribution, uh, which the regulator can just decide that the Premier League must give more resources to other parts of the system. And so it's also totally unclear to me what the relationship is going to be between this new regulator and the existing football authorities, which, as as, uh, Damien has said, already do quite a lot in this area. This morning I was reading the FA's 60-page guide on VAT, for example, uh, which, which, of course, is very important. For, for football clubs. So really, that's the, my point is that uh, we don't need this regulator. Uh, the, re- the regulation which is proposed is totally disproportionate to the uh, alleged problem. And a final point I would make, uh, as a supporter of a non-league football club, uh, this uh, concentrates far too much on the Premier League and, uh, and the Championship. We have a a vast number of semi-professional clubs in this country. 750 teams entered for the FA Cup this year. Um, And most of those are paying people and in small scale face many of the issues which Premier League clubs do. And yet they're totally ignored in this analysis. And that's a point I'd like to come back to later on. Thanks very much, Len. So, Simon, you've been involved in yes. many different aspects of the game. Indeed, I have. Um, what, how, do, how do you see this? 
Um, well, I speak from a position of someone that's lost £50 million in a football club, so I can look at the ecosystem <laughs> through a set of eyes. For a set of eyes of someone that went into it and had very balanced views about what it could be, what it should be, and what it ultimately was. Um, now, I look at the situation... Do I need this? Yeah? I look at the situation where a report should be produced with an objective frame of mind rather than a subjective point of view. If you're going to produce a report to, to, to make every single part of it deliver the outcome that you want, then you're not really looking at a, a, a report that's particularly objective. If we can look at the three principles of where football in this country is and where it really is, right, the, and we can agree upon them, I think, relatively simply, there is a need... Um, to uh, protect cultural assets, and let's call sporting football clubs cultural assets for the purpose of this conversation. There is clearly a need for better distribution in football. If you understand in professional football, let me just make it about the 92 teams and we can get into the non-league guys uh, as and when we need to, but the 92 teams, if you've got 90% of the distributions going to 20 teams and 10% going to 72 teams, and they're all bound together by a collective business, then you can see the disparity in the distributions. And then you look at the governance. So you've got three parts of the equation that will need to be remedied, which are protecting sporting cultural assets against the Roman Abramovich, against the Sheikh Mansurs, against bad owners, or whatever other terminology you want to use. And bad owners come in all shapes and guises. We've got to look at the distribution so there's a fair, equitable uh, f uh, funding and feeding of the ecosystem so that all football clubs can thrive and survive in an environment. And then you've got to look at the governance. So if you agree that those are three sensible points of view, then you start to look at the mechanism of delivery. And the mechanism of delivery that's being advanced is independent regulation is that mechanism of delivery. I look at that and say, look at the, uh, there's, no, there's no debate that English football is successful. The mechanisms that are being deployed to make it successful leave it slightly dysfunctional, but there is no argument in world football that our domestic leagues are the financial powerhouses of domestic football. So why do we need a regulator in this country when no other, football no other, no other country has a regulator governing their sport or their particular uh, segment of sport being football? You then look at the, um, the, the, the mechanisms that are being deployed currently and the ideals behind an independent regulator being the solution. It is undoubtable that the, the, the de facto, in principle, regulator of English football is the FA. The fact that they're incompetent at this moment in time or don't have the constitutional powers or the legislative support to be able to do what's fundamentally required. We can debate and we can spin off about fit and proper owner's tests. And Dame, some of the things Damien said is right, some of it's nonsense. You could not legislate for people like Mel Morris with a business track record that's made a billion quid going into a football club, losing £250 million of his own money, and no landscape could have protected or stopped that, that entrance point in the first place. I dealt with Steve Dell. It wasn't Burnley, it was Berry. And if you ever spoke to Steve Dell, who became the Berry owner, there was something deeply corrupt and destructive about that individual, and perhaps the, the, the debate could be had about how he got in the door in the first place. But notwithstanding that, you, the, the premise of this report... The three axis points of the report that led this fan-led review, and the key component is in the title, it's a fan-led review, it's steeped in sentimentality and lack of objectivity and lack of real-world uh, vantage point. The, the three crisis points are nonsense. Bury is not a kick-off point. This is an industry that's... A, what other industry do you know that can go back 100 years and see the same people in situ 100 years later? 
You look at the second uh, analysis, the second crisis point, COVID. I'll leave off. We get a pandemic once every 100 years, so you put a regulator in a fucking industry because you've got a pandemic that comes around once every 100 years that's decimated every single industry. The third point is the ESL. Are we outside of our minds? We have a Premier League, which is virtually a form of incarnation of the ESL. The only slight difference was the original position of the ESL was not about meritocracy. And these guys, like this report, are going to start hard and pair back, because if you start in a negotiation with somebody and you punch them in the stomach and they breathe in, you roll over them. If you, they push back, then you negotiate, but you start with your strongest position. And the ESL guys were starting with the strongest position. And by the way, who defined UEFA and FIFA as people that aren't doing something? Something similar with meritocracy attached to it. it was they're trying desperately to unwind by using coefficients to justify big clubs competing in their tournaments without merit attached to it as a methodology they wish to deploy. So the premise of this report, and I don't know how many of you have read it, so I've read the 162 pages and it's two hours of my life that I won't get back because a lot of it does not make sense. It doesn't hang together. You know, the, the real reality is we've got regulators left, right and centre. There is nobody besides with due respect, some blowhard politicians that think that this is something that vaguely resembles common sense for football. None of the major players in football, you might get some smaller clubs further down the pyramid that sold themselves for things like the Elite Player Performance Programme because they were being given 250 grand a year by the Premier League and then they gave away their compensation rights for young boys that they produced and effectively mortgaged their futures by doing so. Nobody, not the EFL, not the self-serving Premier League clubs, what independent regulation is is a, is, a, is a stalking horse to bring the Premier League to the table to get better distributions underpinned by better governance and therein provides a solution to full. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. It comes from somebody that lost 50 million quid. Okay, I lost 50 million quid at a time when the banking uh, uh, industry went into crisis, a regulated industry, and 40, 50 million quid of my other money was in banking regulated products that I lost as well. So you look at regulation and you understand that 50% of most, com uh, most companies that work in regulated sectors don't want regulations. They don't see it as something that benefits the industry. This isn't an industry that needs to be protected for the consumer. Of course, the sporting aspect of its side of it does in terms of the cultural value, but not ticket prices and not necessarily consumer value. You've got massive scope for mission creep here. The scale and opportunity for this to be abused and turned into something that it's not. It might look like a good idea, not to be flippant, and it sounds relatively sweeping. We need an independent regulator like NATO needs to operate a no-fly zone over the Ukraine. It might sound like a good idea, but this, this, the, the sequence of unintended events that can come as a result of it are quite dramatic. It won't become a taxpayer issue because the industry wouldn't have the audacity to ask the taxpayer to pay for it. But when you sit here and you listen to politicians, as I have done over the last two years, talk about the state of English football and how wealthy it is by only looking at the Premier League and forgetting that the Premier League is an island on its own right, cast, uh, cast away because it had the commercial wherewithal to do so and the vacuum of leadership in the Football League, which is now being bridged by capable operators... You don't need independent regulation. You need a reconstituted, recalibrated FA. Otherwise, what's it there for? If it's not fit for purpose, get rid of it. And you need legislative support to be able to enforce mechanisms to make sure that the distributions are in place with governance underneath it. Job done, end of discussion. Don't need, don't need an administrator at £20 million a year making up rules as they go along.
Thanks, Simon. Strong stuff. I'll sit on the fence. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I did say Burnley, didn't I? I meant Bury. So apologies to any Burnley fans and uh, Alistair Campbell if he's watching. Never um, apologise. <laughs> Never. So, Damien, can I can I come back to you um, for a bit of a deeper dive on some of how the proposals um, will will work in practice, and and in particular. Um, the proposals for shadow bands or uh, shadow boards of, of fan groups and, and golden shares for these fan groups. Um, could you say a bit about how, how that's intended to work and, and perhaps address it, whether there's actually a danger that this could actually just tie up clubs in attritional battles about developments and actually deter investment in the game from people like Simon and, and future Simons? Well, I mean, it's quite a lot there. So, so starting off with I mean, the golden share. I mean, the golden share is typically used as a term in football, which really means the right to play in a competition. You know, so the golden share is your membership of the Football League or the Premier League, you know, which is your, your right to play. The ultimate sanction for any uh, club owner would be to be so far in breach of the rules that the, your golden share was, was withdrawn. Now... There are um, so what the what the report looks at is you know really what those conditions might be whether you would have a situation where the regulator could say well take it in a berry type case where what we're going to do is the, the business may have gone bust but you know we will retain the golden share we could reissue that golden share to another to another owner so is there a way of protecting the institution the community asset that is the club from an owner that's gone wrong now I agree with Simon uh, that you no regulator can ever predict whether a new owner is going to be a good owner or not. You know, with Mel Morris at Derby, he would have ticked every single box mm -hmm. for, the, for a perfect club owner. You know, a sort of very successful businessman who made a huge amount of money that was investing in his local club, the one he supported all his life. I mean, kind of like it's what you, it would be if you were to write a script of what a club owner should be like, it would be like mm -hmm. Mel. And it went wrong. And it, and it went wrong. And businesses go wrong. The question I think here with the regulator is, is what's left at the end? You know, because can a club recover from a bad owner? What, what is, what is left at the end of it. We've seen cases in the past and one of the problems of Derby is as a mechanism for trying to sustain spending that was too high that was that the chairman ultimately couldn't afford or, or and the club couldn't afford is a club now that's massively in debt that sold its training ground and sold its um, sold its ground you know and, and is a much weaker position than it than it could have been to the owner to the owner, yeah. So it's up to him, but he's under no obligation to give it back. I mean, he could he could do a deal. Well, he know, is because he personally guarantees the debts of the funders that are putting the, that are funding the administration. So Mel's in a very invidious position. Yeah, no, no, he is. He's absolutely in an invidious position. But there's no guarantee that he would he will do a deal with the administrator in order to. To clear the debts and make the club sustainable. No, I, mean, no. I have all these properties taken off him in London. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but, but I mean, but there are there are there are lots of the, the idea that football is not regulated is, is at the moment is wrong as well. It has quite a lot of rules that make football clubs very unlike other sorts of businesses. You know, one being that when a club goes into administration, you have to pay all your football debts, or, the, or you're kicked out of the league. You can't do a deal on, on all the outgoing debts as you would do football in credit policy. Yeah, football, football credit yeah. rule. You can't do a deal uh, in that but way. But there is governance. Damien, there is governance. The, the governance is ill-formed, ill-educated, immature governance. You're allowed to run your football club losing £105 million every three years if you're in the Premier League. You're allowed to run your football club run, uh, running losses at £39 million if you're in the Championship. I don't know any industry that thinks it's good governance to tell you how much money you're allowed to lose. So we are in the same space, Damien. It's about the mechanism of delivery, yeah. about how you, you bring that to the fore. And it isn't just a case of saying that the only rules that are in place are about the competition. There are financial governance rules in place. 
the fact that there are huge individuals owning football clubs that are finding clever accountancy to get around it, which yep. causes a drip-down effect, which has caused the hyperinflation that the Abramovichs, the Sheikh Mansours, and no doubt that delightful crew that now own Newcastle mm. will bring to the fore, mm. are, 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 are about the control mechanisms that are in place. But the reaction to the fan-led review has been um, uh, to understand some of the perspectives, but they were already in hand. But, and, I'm, and I am no person for the establishment, mm. no person. I've seen the level of incompetence inside the Football League. I've seen how it hurt me economically. Yep, yep. But again, I go back to the point. To, to make your point about the golden share, what, 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 the, what this is advocating is that there's a model in Germany, which I'm sure a lot of you are privy to, which is a fan-owned model. Yeah. You cannot get a genie back in a bottle. <laughs> this is the most successful football pyramid in the world. It just needs to grow up a little bit and be made to think about things differently. And that's where independent regulation gets used as a stalking horse, never as an implemented perspective. It has to be believed it's going to be so. And a golden share, if you give the golden share to the fans, who, by the way, of course, are the most important part of it, whether it's the eyes on the prize in the stadium or the eyes on the prize through broadcasting deals around the world, you will then get guys investing money into football clubs on the basis of that fans can determine key components of what a football club is going to do going forward with no economic investment, emotional and sentimental investment. Who's going to invest in a business where key decisions can be vetoed by those that have a, an emotional investment but no economic investment? That is a recipe for disaster. But Simon, there, there, there is a model for this, you know, which is could largely be based on actually implementing the rules football's already created for itself. I remember when Berry went bust with the chairman of the FA, the chief executive of the Football League in front of the front of the committee, and we said, what, you know, went, what went wrong? And what's quite invidious when they sit there and say, well, we've got these salary protocol rules. We've and we don't them enforce in. them. We don't enforce them. Yes. We don't enforce them. Yes. No, and, and, and you can't have it both ways. And I think, how do you break... If yes, they, Because it was a protocol, not a rule, yeah. Damien. That's why it was the protocol in the Football League was different. But when you see yeah. the heads of these football bodies praying in aid of these rules they've created, saying this is to stop failure, and yet they don't enforce them or can't enforce them. And there is, there is a problem there. And if the FA could reform itself, and well, we can't abolish the FA, I mean, the FA is our, is our sort of interlocution into FIFA, and uh, it's beyond the control, it's not, not the control of the government to decide whether to abolish the FA or not, or any other sporting body. But, but how, is, do you break, how do you break the impasse? It is supposed to be the regulator. The FA yeah, is, is supposed, supposed to, to be the de facto regulator. But if, if, it, if, it, if it is failing in that role, and, and I think we would both agree that there is failure of governance for football here, it could yes. be, if it was, the FA could failure be... Failure of implementation. Yeah, if the FA could be reformed, it could do a lot of the things that the reports that yep. South the, regula the, the regulator could do. The reason we're at this impasse is we've had years, decades of reports, inquiries, you know, from government departments, parliament, and so on, saying what needs to be done. And yet the football authorities will not agree to any change, no, no meaningful change, and therefore we're at this impasse. And do, do we let that continue? Do we say we need to put structures in, case, in place that football can't create for itself, even just to make sure that football's own rules are enforced? But, but, but sorry, Simon, can I bring Len in? Now, I will come back to you, of course. Um, but Len, I, I, I think you... It's just getting quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, because you're, I think, more sceptical of the redistributive... Um, proposals, the redistribution elements of these proposals, in in fact, mainly from the perspective of these lower league clubs, um, and 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 I well, can you talk a bit about your concerns for those clubs, the grassroots clubs, the the lower end of the pyramid? Okay, well, there's there's two things there. Uh, football has, uh, for a very long time, has been has had redistribution. I mean, when I was young, you shared the gates and things like mm -hmm. this, right? Um, 
I, clearly, that's 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 good. That's that's something which we want to preserve. But the idea that a regulator should be able to instruct the clubs that they must pay a transfer levy and mm. they must do this, that, and the other, and so forth, I think that's wrong fundamentally. Uh, on the question of of um, uh, smaller clubs, this is a, a point I was trying to make uh, earlier on. Uh, one of the the, pr the problems with, with, with what is being proposed here is it's not clear how far down this is going to go. Uh, somewhere in the Crouch Review, it suggests that it's going to apply to 115 clubs, which takes us down through the National League. The FA also um, has an interest in three levels below that. Uh, so we talk about quite a long way down the pyramid, but a lot of the, 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 the kind of things which are being suggested in this report require a huge amount of compliance, a lot of box ticking. It's modelled on the Financial Conduct Authority, for heaven's sake, with a whole load of things which you have to get right about who's on the board of directors, or, um, business plans uh, submitted on, on particular periods. But there are different tiers, though, aren't there? I mean, there are, in fairness to the report, there are, are different, different tiers. tiers. Oh, yeah, but there's a, there, Simon, there, there is a, a ratchet on this, uh, which you may, yeah, may not have noticed. Yeah, that, you know, if you get relegated, you still have to apply the same rules which you yeah. had in the higher league. So yeah. that, over time, is going to mean this is going to spread and, all and the way design, down. Yeah. That's by design. That's by they design. want it to spread all the way down. That's, that's what that's the regulatory is creep, which yeah, is what well, no, There's absolutely mission creep. And if you look at some of the premises of the report, in one part of the report, it talks about the profligacy and bad owners, guys like me that spend too much money right, as a bad owner, as a model. Right? And, and then later on in the report, it goes on to say the governance. Mike Ashley, Newcastle United, bad governance, only board member. This is a football club that made money for 10 years and the fans hated him because it made money. It had no God-given right to be in the Premier League because it's the club that's won nothing. But it's in the Premier League primarily for eight years out of 10 or 11 years that Mike owned it, or a little bit longer, because of the fact that he ran a business. So on one hand, you've got the report saying that profligacy is the absolute death knell of the lack of, 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 the, of, the lack of, of direction football's going in and bringing us to a financial precipice. On the other hand, it's let's, let's, let's use the fan-led part of it to bash an individual football club because clearly the motivation behind the report is the fans' perspective. And where the, the football authorities have been very, very poor is communicating properly with the end user, the fan. You can't allow politicians, with respect to Damien, half the time they don't know what they're talking about in terms of the game. I would listen to the DCMS examining Roman Abramovich last week and using articles that I wrote in the Times as a, as a bench point. I do know what I'm talking about. I may have lost a lot of money during the time of football, and I may talk about it now more than actually be involved in it, but this is not difficult to straighten this up. The distribution model and the governance go hand in hand. If you, if you distribute, distribute properly and the condition of distribution is proper governance, and not getting into the territory, you're over-regulating, turning it into bureaucratic nonsense. Before you know it, this will end up with what Cushions fans are sitting on in seats, because that's what regulators do. You fix, you fix the protection of the sporting assets. You get the government to introduce a Sporting Heritage Act, which in it basically ring fences and protects the sporting clubs with a blue plaque above their door, like a grade two listed building, with certain conditionality upon it. You get the distribution mechanisms right, and you put the governance in place, bang. What do you need a regulator for? They're done. What are they going to do now then? They're going to sit around scratching their backsides, getting licensing fees, creating opportunities to become more and more bureaucratic. And it's not because I don't like regulation, but because I really simply don't believe it needs to exist in the framework that we've got. And if you argue that football in this country is unsuccessful, then what does the rest of the world football look like that doesn't have? Why would we want to disadvantage ourselves against every other league? Why would we want to tax our, buying, our clubs buying 
um, uh, um, um, players from abroad as some mechanism to fund the league and disadvantage us against our competition in European football. I mean, it's just madness. And when I look at the architects behind this report, sorry not to personalise it, but with respect to David Bernstein, who's one of the intellectual capitals behind this, David Bernstein was the chairman of the FA, who are supposed to be the regulator. And if you look at David's business career, with the litany of perhaps businesses that have failed, I'm not sure he can talk about governance. And if you look at Salford and Gary Neville, I'm not sure Peter Lim would pass the fit and proper owners test with a football club that ignores the protocols in place. And these are the guys that are the intellectual capital behind some of this report. It's for the birds. <laughs> So I'm going to open it up to questions from the floor in just a minute, but I do have one question for Damien, um, which is, I guess, potentially more about the general political ecosystem where we're operating in here. And so my question is, what's the limiting principle here? Is there anything that you wouldn't want to regulate? Uh, you know, there are, I can think of lots of industries that people feel uh, more of a community attachment to in retail, in the music industry, local pubs, you know, where often they're very badly run and often if they go bust, it's very sad and disappointing for communities. Is, is there any limiting principle here where you would say, no, we don't want to regulate that. The market is doing its job. And it goes back to what we said, said at the beginning. It's been said, said by Simon as well, that football clubs are community assets. Um, football grounds are recognised as community assets in law at the moment through the Localism Act. Uh, you know, community right to buy a, a football sports stadium. The reason all the clubs that were in the football, football league in the late 1960s still exist today is not because they've all been carefully managed. It's because the, when they've gone bust, the fans have brought them back. And there are plenty of Phoenix clubs that are back in the football but, league. But doesn't that mean that it, it, the system's working? Because it is possible to, to reconstitute a club from the grassroots and work up like Bury is doing now, like AFC Wimbledon well, has that, done. I wouldn't say that's an example of success. I mean, it's technically possible. You, could, you might be able to, over, uh, normally over, after a few years of wrangling, you can get the name back. You, know, you can re-enter at a very junior level, and if you're lucky and you get promotion pretty much most years, in about a decade, you might be back at where you were before. So, and that's only, that only happens because the community are invested in their club and want to see it get back on its feet. Now, I think you know, for the owners of football clubs are like, uh, they are custodians of, of those clubs. You know, their, their business acumen, their success, often their own money, may well determine at what level the team can be competitive. But I think what we want to see is, a, is an ecosystem where an ownership either you know, fails or someone sells a club on, whatever, however the, 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 the custodianship of one owner ends and another one starts, there is still a club. There's a, and what we, I, think, I think what communities want, what the fans want, is to stop people asset stripping clubs you know, and running them into the ground. And as you know, Steve Dale did at Bury, sort of basically walking <laughs> away and leave, he, he, he hasn't lost any money out of that club. He just no, walked away and left a load of debt. You know, and run and run a club that. Well, the debt was already there. But, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but you know, he's uh, and, and it's the community trying to pick up the pieces. So I don't think it's the job of the regulator to be determining every aspect of how a club is run. And my, my starting point would be for it to say, look at the rules that football's created for itself on, on financial fair play. Some of the role the FA Council takes on at the moment in protecting heritage assets of clubs like the the colours the team play in, uh, the name of the club. When I mean, Hull City wants to change the name to Hull City Tigers a few years ago, Th things like I think the fans have a right to be consulted on some of those things and and you know the where, do you know do we have an mk don situation where the owner decides i'm going to move the club somewhere else because i think it will be more successful you know ah, but you damon you can't speak to that because i was the person that kicked wimbledon out of sellers park at the time okay and well, know the back <laughs> <story. laughs> i know i know but these are yeah. sorts of in principle decisions you say and it's not for that you know there was a question of northampton tower ended up playing in uh sort of commentary ended up playing in northampton as well at six fields you know because of a dispute between the owner of the ground and the owner of the club so i think that there is a role for regulators come in here, 
you could the starting point could could just be the rules football has already created. That the, the issue Simon raises is resolvable if the authorities could fix themselves. But these issues could continue because Don't, they Jamie, won't. can you use your mic Sorry. so the people yeah. on YouTube um, can hear? Yes, the, the issues persist because there's no, can be no collective agreement within football. The redistribution question, which Simon touched on there, of monies from the Premier League, I mean, the big difference between football now and football 50 years ago is, in the old days, a, a club based in a big city with a decent catchment area, a decent ground, could compete with anyone, really, in Europe, let alone in the UK, if, if it got everything right. But with the broadcast deals. But, but the broadcast deals have, have changed all of that, and they've pump-primed a huge amount of money into the hands of a relatively small number of clubs. How that money is distributed I think is a perfectly legitimate debate but again it requires lots of different vested interests you know who have got uh, agreeing and at the moment that's that's proven to be impossible and I think that's where you come back to saying well should there be some independent body that administers these things and the question the perennial question with the Premier League which is the most successful you know football league and in, the championship, in the world, and championship but although I think the most although of, the controls in the championship yeah, yeah, are, are, a lot, are a lot weaker I think if the championship was run more like the Premier League it would probably be more successful but the um, the, the problem is when you, the wealth in the Premier League is so great compared to everything else you know, should there be a mechanism for redistribution which is consistent which is that tracks almost the growing wealth and value of of football at the, at the top level. So that the amount that goes back into the grassroots, the amount that is uh, distributed to the clubs at lower levels, uh, is as a percentage of the value of the Premier League roughly consistent. And I think that's I think that's I think you know whether it's done through a transfer levy or something else. I think that at its heart is what the uh, what the report is trying to get at. Sounds a bit like socialism to me. Well, you could also you could because the, the national the NFL NFL in America is the most successful commercially sporting league yeah, in the world. The, no, no, hang on, hang on. And it's similar. No, 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 but it is. The owner set it, and for you know, for good, good commercial reasons for them, it's probably simultaneously both the most capitalist and the most socialist sporting competition Very in the world. True. You know, but it's the most successful.